This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 92, Your Nervous System in Your Digestion. Have you ever noticed some digestive perturbation when something happens and you're extremely stressed? I remember my first day as a high school substitute teacher. I won't get into the details, but knowing that a high-level stress situation affects our digestion, what about our very two comment chronic low, medium, or even high levels of stress. What about anxiety? So for today's episode, I sat down with Rachel Everett. Rachel is a registered dietitian with her virtual practice focused on helping women finding lasting relief from digestive issues like IBS. She specializes in using a holistic approach that includes diet, lifestyle, that's what we're going to talk about today, and functional lab testing to identify and address the root causes of the symptoms we get. Her proven framework has helped many women beat the bloat for good, regain trust with their bodies, and build confidence with food. We sat down today to talk about the impact of the nervous system on our digestion and how things like yoga, meditation, myofascial release can directly improve our digestion. Now, a few things before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you that I'll be leading a yoga retreat in Mexico next November. So if you're craving to immerse yourself in yoga, nature, and community again, or if you're just looking to feel renewed and re-enliven, this chance is for you to hit the beach and the reset button. And so you'll find the link for that retreat if you want more info or you're ready to sign up at ericavalandra.com and I'll put the link for that in the show notes. In parallel, I have launched a GoFundMe campaign. I am offering scholarships for this yoga retreat. Yoga retreat has been pivotal in my personal growth so I've been wanting to give back so I'm raising money while investing alongside the community so I'm matching donations to make the experience of yoga retreat available to students who would not be able to participate otherwise so if you're able to donate anything know that you could transform someone's life and if you're in need if you've been dreaming of a yoga retreat but you can't afford it apply for the scholarship and I would love to have you join us on the trip. Either way, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could share the GoFundMe campaign with the people you love and on social media. It's a way that really simply you can directly impact someone else's life in a positive way. So I'll put all the links for that in the show notes too, how to donate, how to apply, and a link that you can copy and paste to share. And I thank you in advice for your support. Here on the podcast, we recently launched a new membership platform. We moved from Patreon to With Ribbon. So to get access to all your premium content, including the video format of this episode today and our 200 video class library, visit withribbon.com slash you slash Erica Belanger. And of course, I'll put the link for that in the show notes as well. All right, last announcement. I have a gift for you. If you remember Julie from episode 83, her book, The Transformation Journey, was just released and she generously offered to give you guys a copy. So thank you so much if you left a review for the podcast and entered our giveaway. The winner is iTunes user Arlie K. Arlie said... 
This is the podcast for devoted yogis and novice practitioners alike. Erica and her guests make me feel completely at home here, piled over by brilliant advice and nourishing conversations. Heart emoji. I'll heart you back. Thank you so much for your review. Arlie, email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at on and off your mat podcast and I'll be super happy to send you your book. All right, guys, let's get to our episode of today with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hey, Erica. How are you today? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm well. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm super honored to be here. So Rachel, for listeners that don't know you, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Yeah, sure. So I am a registered dietitian um, and I focus on really just helping women with irritable bowel syndrome. So IBS really understand um, the underlying cause of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I got into all this really from my own health experiences. I'm similar to a lot of the women that I work with. I grew up having all kinds of digestive problems. It was like, as for as long as I could remember, I had trouble, you know, with bowel movements and constipation and gas and all this stuff. And it just seemed like eating was harder for me than for my friends. And it was really frustrating. And, um, that really just led me to, uh, pursue a career in health and, um, through grad school, I got my master's in clinical nutrition, learned about uh, more about IBS and how to control it. But it really wasn't until um, years later that I was able to identify that all of my symptoms actually stemmed from something called SIBO. Mm. And that stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, And once I addressed that, uh, my life changed. So I never really struggled with any of those symptoms again. And that's kind of what launched me into just doing this as a specialty because so many women um, can relate with that as well. Is it more prevalent in women? Yeah. So actually IBS is more prevalent in women. Um, Who knows why that is, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it is more prevalent in women. And then within IBS, uh, research studies have shown that up to 84% of IBS is caused by SIBO. So just because of that, more women as well are experiencing that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for listeners that have no idea what IBS and SIBO are, can you tell us just a little bit more about it? Just so maybe yeah. they recognize some things in themselves or just they have general knowledge of what we're talking about. For sure. So um, how IBS is diagnosed, I kind of call it a trash can diagnosis, honestly, <laughs> um, because most people will go into the doctor's office and they're like, hey, like I've been experiencing like stomach pain. I have, you know, maybe constipation and or diarrhea. Um, I get gassy and bloated. And, you know, they have this kind of like plethora of these digestive sy- symptoms. And the first thing a doctor will do is do some tests to kind of rule out more serious things. So, you know, celiac disease, um, IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease. So do some tests. And and when they go in there and look, they'll see, well, nothing looks wrong. Like we don't see anything, nothing showing up on your colonoscopy or endoscopy. And so they're just like, well, it's irritable bowel syndrome. You know, we don't know what it is. And so it's kind of this trash can. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, and they'll go through the Rome criteria. So the Rome criteria is what says, you know, if you've got two or more of the following symptoms for over at least three months, then um, you can diagnose it as IBS. And that's generally like abdominal pain for like one or more days a week um, that either gets better or worse with a bowel movement. Uh, so precise. Talk, yeah, talk a lot. Yeah, it's super precise. We're gonna talk a lot about poop, but yeah, it gets better or worse with the bowel movement, which is pooping. Um, you know, if you experience a change in stool frequency, so number of times that you're going a day versus in a week, um, and then change in stool form. So, uh, yeah, we'll kind of say, all right, you've got IBS if you check off of enough of those boxes. Um, and usually, patients will leave the office with a prescription for Miralax or Imodium. Um, and if they're lucky, you know, they may get a handout on diet, but that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So, wow. so that that's IBS. <laughs> now, SIBO is, you know, is really what's causing the IBS in most cases. And that 84% of people with IBS is actually SIBO. And what that is, is, you know, bacteria, is supposed to live in our large intestine. So most people now have heard of the microbiome, you know, that's gotten really popular in the last <laughs> you know, decade. Um, and so, so that's wonderful. We want bacteria living in our large intestine because that does so many great things for us. But what SIBO is, is when that bacteria starts to overgrow in your small intestine, where it should not be. And the small intestine wasn't made for bacteria, and it definitely wasn't made for the byproduct of bacteria eating food. So when bacteria start to ferment fibers from food, it releases gas. And that gas in your small intestine will trigger all of those IBS symptoms. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, most many doctors are not testing for SIBO at this point. Why not? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> Seems like know, a simple solution, but yeah. And I think like maybe a big part is that um, a lot of this research is really new, mm. to be honest. Like I didn't learn about any of this when I was in grad school, and I went to a prestigious medical school here in Dallas, and the clinical program was through that, and so it was very research based. Um, you know, studies. And the only thing I remember in class one day, we were talking about SIBO, we went through it in like an hour. And they basically said, like, the only way you can get SIBO is if you've had um, gut resections. Essentially, if you've had surgery on your intestines and had parts of your intestines taken out. Mm, But now we know that's not true anymore. Yeah. And so I remember sitting there in class being like, oh my gosh, those are all my symptoms. I might have SIBO. And then they followed it up with, no, you can't have it if you haven't had the surgeries. So the new research isn't, you know, hey, SIBO is this new diagnosis. It's, hey, there's now all these new re- new ways that you can get SIBO beyond yeah, having the surgeries. So what are some of those ways for people to be yeah. conscious about, <laughs> curious about? There's a lot of them, but um, the biggest ones, I'll kind of go through some of the most common ones. Um, The most common is food poisoning, actually. So um, there's actually a term for people who get IBS after an incident of food poisoning, and that's called post-infectious IBS. Well, now we know that that's SIBO. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that is, is because when you get food poisoning, 
there's all these kind of things that happen, but essentially your body does some damage to your own gut motility. So we've got this migrating motor complex, which is this, you know, bundle of nerves in our small intestine. And that's essentially like the role of the migrating motor complex, MMC for short, is to sweep out like food and bacteria. So in between our meals, it's like the housekeeper. It's keeping that area clean. Well, after an incident of food poisoning, that MMC can get damaged. And now you don't have a very good house cleaner. <laughs> so, you know, so now there's going to be some trash building up. There's going to be some bacteria building up. And before you know it, you've got an overgrowth um, of bacteria. So that's a big one. Um, another one that's actually becoming really common, um, especially among women, is um, hypothyroid and specifically the most common medication that is prescribed for hypothyroid, which is levothyroxine or synthroid. Mm -hmm. Um, there's actually studies that show that the medication for hypothyroid is uh, a bigger cause of SIBO than hypothyroid itself. And, and we know that like hypothyroid and Hashimoto's is, uh, really, I can't remember the statistic, but it's, pretty prevalent nowadays. And most people go, um, or most women go undiagnosed, unfortunately, for a long time mm -hmm. with that. Um, I'll say another big one is medications. So uh, long-term antibiotic use, I find with a lot of my clients that, you know, specifically um, acid blockers, uh, if you uh, reduce your stomach acid, you're now letting bacteria slip through the stomach and instead of getting killed by the stomach acid, they're slipping through and surviving into the small intestine. Bacteria that would come with the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're, you know, that's, we're exposed to so much bacteria on a day-to-day -day basis, you know. Our hands, yeah. Our mouth. yeah. Yeah. And so um, normally that would get killed. That's our stomach acids, like our first defense against that stuff. You know, parasites as well is another thing. Parasites, bacteria. And when that stomach acid is messed with or reduced, well, yeah, you're kind of setting yourself up for bacterial overgrowth. That's one. And then I'd say, again, antibiotic use. A lot of people that have been on acne medication mm. for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I noticed that that's a big cause as well, uh, specifically in my practice. And then, um, yeah, I'd say those are probably the bigger, the biggest okay. ones. Yeah. So whether people might have IBS or might have SIBO or are just tuning in because they're curious about the nervous system that we'll get to in a moment, what are some common digestive symptoms that we might have and we might not really consider as red flag because we've had them, you know, our whole life? I know you mentioned a few, but just for people to have like an overview idea of what, what sometimes we might consider normal and yet is not quite normal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great question, Erica, because like our bowel habits are so kind of still taboo. Like people don't talk totally, about it. Totally, totally. Right? And so it's not like I'm going to be chatting with my friend and be like, hey, what'd your poop look like? You know, <laughs> like, let me compare what mine looks like to yours. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> most people can go a really long time and not notice or not realize that, oh, what I'm dealing with is not normal. Like this isn't how everybody lives because we don't talk about it. And so, um, so yeah, some of the biggest ones I'd say is urgency. 
So if you are eating something and you've got to run to the restroom uh, right after, mm-hmm. uh, urgency is one of them. Um, another thing is just bowel movements. So are you going daily? Like we should be going one to three times a day. And I can't tell you how many people, Erica, will come to me and they're going maybe a couple times a week yeah. and they don't realize that that's not normal. Like that's not good. Like that's our body's main way of detoxification. So if you're not detoxing that crap, like you're holding on to it. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah. And even people that are having daily bowel movements, but they're not feeling empty, that's still constipation. So sometimes people will have, you know, bowel movements in their like rabbit pellets, you know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like a little bit and they're like, well, I'm going every day, but that's not the amount, you know, you're not, it's not, they're optimal. not feeling, yeah, they're not feeling empty. They're like, yeah, it's, there's still stuff there, but I didn't get all it out. Didn't get all of it out. So that's, that's a big one. Um, some other ones are uh, feeling bloated every day. So I think now, like, there's this new trend in social media. Maybe it's not new, but uh, like normalizing bloat, which is fine. Like, I'm all for, you know, loving our bodies in every stage that it's at. But it's not like normal to look six months pregnant with bloat every single night. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not normal. Yeah. So we can have compassion on our bodies during that time as it's going through that. But that's not something that we just accept as like, yeah, this is what happens? I eat and I bloat. No, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a sign that something's going on underneath. Um, and I think lastly is uh, smelly gas. So, you know, farting is like, you know, there's jokes about farting and, oh, like got to leave the room and having smelly gas on a frequent basis is not normal either. So if it's like once in a blue moon after you picked out on, you know, maybe some food that you normally don't do, then fine. But if this is like, Hey, on a daily basis, you're having to walk into another room to pass gas. That's not normal. Mm -hmm. So now that people know this, how can they start to be curious and observe their daily, you know, situation? Like how can they approach this a little bit in a scientific way, let's say? Yeah. And I think part the first thing is awareness, right? So if this is the first time that maybe, you know, your listeners are hearing some of this, then that's the first step. Like, oh, I'm aware now that, yeah, I might have some of those symptoms that she mentioned. And the next thing would be to, to track, be curious about your body. I like to use a like food and symptom journal um, with clients so that they can start to see patterns because mm-hmm. it's important to like, you can, you can really tell a lot about your body and yourself. If you track, I mean, most of us can't remember what we ate yesterday. So, you know, how can you, how can you notice any patterns if you're not writing things down? Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're putting together a little journal for yourself, it doesn't have to be complicated. You can put it on your, you know, Apple phone or your notes, your iPhone notes, if you want to, but write down what you eat. And then write down, I would also include emotions, which, you know, we'll get into with the nervous system, but like how your emotions are, your stress level, you know, just kind of your, your mood. I would, I would also add that. And then, uh, any symptoms that you're experiencing throughout the day and put times next to those. And over time you'll see patterns. Mm -hmm. And 
course, you know, taking those patterns and working with someone um, would be would be the next next best step. But at least you can see, oh, you know, that's how my body responds when I eat X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's super useful to know. So, mm-hmm. digging a little bit more in our subject of today, now that we've kind of created the basic knowledge around it, talking about nervous system and digestion and the impact one on the other and the other on the first, right? It goes kind of both ways. So why look at something like the nervous system when it comes to treating IBS, SIBO, even heartburn, reflux, instead of treating the digestive symptoms themselves, like you mentioned, like with Miralax or with other, you know, doctor (laughs) suggestions? Hey, I love doctors, but yeah, it's, you know, it takes time, right, to um, work with someone to get to the underlying issue. And doctors don't have a lot of that time. Mm-hmm. But but really, the reason we don't just treat the digestive issues is because that's like putting a Band-Aid. You're covering it up with something. You're taking a laxative. You know, you're taking something that's going to help with your reflux. You're, you're just kind of suppressing those symptoms so that you don't notice it. But that doesn't mean that the problem has been addressed. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the nervous system, this is huge because this, I find, is one of the most common underlying like root causes of IBS, SIBO, and all these different GI issues. Because to be honest, like SIBO is also a symptom of something else, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think the doctors that are treating SIBO, like that's great that they're treating it. But if you don't address why you got SIBO or IBS in the first place, it's just going to come back. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, looking into the nervous system is hugely important, um, because of how it impacts our digestion overall. So in a way we have SIBO, IBS or other digestive issues. And we think we have a symptom of that, that might be constipation, bloating, but in fact, the whole package of symptoms, which equals IBS or SIBO, or they are a symptom of some kind of nervous system, not necessarily like dysfunction, but there's something going on in the nervous system. So you kind of have to back out and see a bigger, fuller picture. Yeah. I like to think of it as an onion, like you're peeling away the layers, right? So like on the outermost layer, you've got your your IBS symptoms. And then you peel that back and then you find out, oh, that's actually caused by SIBO. And then you peel that back and you're like, oh, well, I got SIBO because I had low stomach acid. Oh, I got low stomach acid because I'm chronically stressed in my 70 hour a week job. And now I'm not digesting my food. So you're kind of trying to really work your way back to the core issue and I think just in like our society today, especially in the last year, you know, with pandemic, everything that's gone on, um, chronic stress is the, I think, most common <laughs> underlying like root, root issue yeah. mm-hmm. of all these digestive symptoms. So how does it work? How does the nervous system work and in hand with the digestive system? Yeah. So let's break down the nervous system. So first, we've got two different parts of our nervous system. We've got our autonomic nervous system. And this kind of deals with all the things that we don't have to think about. Like that are automatic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's automatic. You know, we don't have to think about breathing. We don't have to think about our stomach acid. Um, So that's that. And then we've got our central nervous system, which is our brain and spinal cord. So that's going to be all of your conscious, you know, movement, sensory system. 
So within that um, autonomic nervous system, we've got two branches of that. We've got our parasympathetic nervous system, which uh, most people will call their rest and digest. Um, actually, I expand that to rest and digest and heal. Mm-hmm, me too. Yeah. Yeah. And then your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight or freeze. And you can add on disease <laughs> to that. So you've got these two nervous systems that are operating um, in your body throughout the day. And the role of the parasympathetic nervous system, so this rest, digest, and heal, you know, this is what you need for proper digestion. When you're in that state, that's when your stomach acid is um, released. That's when saliva is stimulated. Mm -hmm. That's when your body sends a signal to release digestive enzymes and bile that tells your body to um, improve motility or to, to stimulate motility in your gut. So helping you to have those bowel movements. Um, so that's all these things that happen when you're in this rest and digest and heal mode. Whereas the sympathetic, that's what we will, it's usually that's our stressed out state, right? That's our distressed state where we're fight or flight. We're, you know, eating while we're working, we're driving, you know, you're just, (laughs) your body is not thinking about digestion. It's thinking about getting away from the stressor, Mm -hmm. whether, you know, in old times that was like running away from a tiger that's trying to attack you. Mm -hmm. But nowadays it looks like, you know, stressful relationships, um, toxic, you know, jobs, uh, financial stressors, like you name it. I mean, just bombardment of that Mm -hmm. all day. Yeah. So put it in a simple way, if your body is busy taking care of the threat that it's perceiving is going on in your life, it's going to shut down your digestion to redirect the energy in a more efficient way. The issue is that we still need to digest even though we're stressed because now we're stressed chronically. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. And most of us, you know, don't know that we're chronically stressed. Um, because really like in in how it's normally supposed to happen is like, you know, throughout the day you're in this parasympathetic, like chill mode, and then you might have a stressor and you move into the sympathetic, but after that stressor passes, you come back down into the parasympathetic. Well, now most people get stuck Mm -hmm. in that sympathetic nervous system. And now they're just living in that state. And it takes intentionality to really bring them back down into that parasympathetic nervous system. Like they don't automatically move back down into that. Yeah. So that takes work. Yeah. Because they kind of lose the habit in a way. Yeah. And you're like paving a path, right? So if you think of the momentum of being, uh yeah. Yeah. And if you're always going down the same like path, like if you think of a dirt, dirt path, you're always taking the same path. Well, that path's going to get really easy to walk down. Like there's not going to be any Yeah, the grass, the grass is not going to grow. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, pretty clear and easy. And the other path is going to be, you know, pathless traveled. There's going to be sticks in the way and debris and all this stuff that you've got to work through. It's the same thing. If we're always being triggered and we're always in that sympathetic nervous system, well, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot harder because you're not practicing you're not working that uh, and we'll talk about the vagus nerve but you're not working that parasympathetic Mm -hmm. uh, nervous system like you're not exercising that 
So before we dig in the vagus nerve, because of course that's something we have to talk about today, what are some just general things people can do to start to move back, to start to reduce their stress and to start to improve their digestion in that way? Yeah, it starts with slowing down, you know? So easy, right? Just slow down. Yeah, I know. And that's that's why I think that this chronic stress is the real, you know, pandemic (laughs) because you know, most, it's easy to take a pill or it's easy to take a, you know, a Band-Aid supplement or medication to hide our symptoms. The real work comes in, you know, doing the, the stuff to slow down, which many people are like, I can't, like I've got kids, I don't have time. A job, like I can't slow down, but really like what's, you know, what's at risk is your health. Um, so yeah, I, I say some simple things to like, just add in to your daily practice. If you're not already, I'm probably speaking to the choir with your audience, you know, doing yoga. But it's a good <laughs> reminder and it's good to see. I'm, I'm sure most people would not have thought that there was such a direct link between their digestion and their nervous system and how daily practices might actually help them be healthy on a gut level, which then ripples into every other system of your body, right? Like if you don't have gut health, there's so many other systems that are going to be off rail. So I think even if they know, you know, that practices like meditation and yoga are important, sometimes we need to understand a little clearly more the why, because that's the key to our motivation. And that's the key to showing up regularly and doing it. And when we know how it's affecting ourselves, we can see the result and that keeps us on track because we like what feels good, right? Once your digestion works really well, you're like, ooh, I like this. I want more of this. I don't want to go back to what I had before. 100%. So yeah. even if we're speaking to the choir, I think it's very important we still talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just like re-solidify that yeah. line, you know, mm-hmm. just like, hey, you know, uh, I'm doing this for more than, you know, just my daily movement. Because I'm supposed to, because I'm a yogi. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so I think, you know, exactly that is just taking that time to slow down meditation, journaling, movement, and like yoga, you know, you're doing something that's movement in a, like, it's not a stressful way. You know, if you're doing exercise, I love high intensity interval training. That's great. But when you're chronically stressed, that's not as, that's not going to help you de-stress. It's not nurturing for your nervous system. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to be triggering. So even though it's like, Hey, this is healthy for me. Well, not so much actually, if you're in a stressed state. So doing something like gentle movement, um, deep breathing. So not alternate, uh, nostril breathing is really good. Um, there's now, uh, like gut centered hypnotherapy, which is really helpful. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things, but I would say, you know, pick one or two things each day and, uh, stick to it because Mm -hmm. it's really consistency that is going to help you move back into that parasympathetic nervous system more quickly after stress. All right. So you mentioned quickly before the vagus nerve, magic <laughs> vagus nerve. Before we go into like how does it affect and what can we do to affect in turn the vagus nerve, can you say a few words on what it is and why we should care about it when it comes to digestion? Yeah. So <laughs> the vagus nerve is the major highway of the gut brain axis. So most people have heard of that, you know, 
at this point. But what that is, is like our gut and our brain are intimately connected. And so what's going on in our brain is going to affect our gut. What's going on in our gut is going to affect our brain. And so there's this telephone line communicating, you know, on a minute by minute basis. Yeah, <laughs> microsecond. So that, yeah. And so that, uh, that telephone line is the vagus nerve. So, and it's really the kind of the light switch for your parasympathetic nervous system, because that's controlling all of those activities, that parasympathetic nervous system that runs through the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is the one that's, Hey, poking on the stomach. Hey, it's time to release stomach acid. Hey, Hey, it's time to do motility. And so, um, that's kind of the arm of the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. It's such a cool nerve. It kind of looks like this tree, right? Super yeah. long branches that go in all the parts of your digestive system from the oesophagus all the way down to your anus, right? Yeah. Covering every yeah. part of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So now that we have a little clear idea of what this magical cranial nerve is and does, how can we improve our digestive system by nurturing, by activating, by stimulating our vagus nerve or vagal response? Yeah. So like I said, people that have been chronically stressed or they're just stressed on, you know, maybe not chronically, but they want to practice stimulating their vagus nerve. This will overall help with digestion because like I said, you know, it's responsible for um, digestive activities. So what you can do to actually stimulate it is things like, yeah, breathing exercises. So um, deep breathing. Uh, I really like that one. Another thing is humming, loud singing. Honestly, anything that stimulates the soft palate, mm-hmm. uh, um, like the roof of your mouth, uh, will stimulate that vagus nerve. And would you um, do that right before a meal or would you just do that regularly in, you know, you create yourself a practice, you do that, or you take the time to do deep breathing before eating or to sing while maybe you prepare your meal, kind of get yourself yeah. not only in the mood, but also prepare the nervous system to be in the digestive, um, yeah, state. I think, I think, you know, finding what works for people, I definitely would say, you know, it's not like a magic pill where you do it once a week and it's going to make a difference. You're not going to see that difference. You really have to do it on a daily basis. So whether you're just like, Hey, I can commit to gargling for 30 seconds to a minute after brushing my teeth in the morning, then great. Like that's, you know, that's one step and that's perfect. Um, or maybe you're like, Hey, like I like singing in the shower and I also like singing in my car and I, um, you know, there's definitely not too much that you can do for that. So, uh, I think it's more about how can you picture or how can you fit that into your life in a way that, uh, is sustainable. Cause if it's another chore to do, if you're like, oh, I need to do this and then I need to do that. You're actually adding stress in your life. Yeah. You're adding stress and it's like the opposite effect that we're intending. So yeah. yeah. Okay. So you mentioned gargling, singing, humming, deep breaths. What else? Breaths. Yeah. Meditation, prayer, chanting, gagging. I don't like that one, <laughs> uh, but some, you know, some people will do that. I, um, 
yeah, be careful with that one, but you could do contrast showers. So like the last 30 seconds of your shower, you can turn it, um, as cold as you can handle. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. that actually will stimulate the vagus nerve as well. Um, and there's also some really good movements. So there's a book called the healing power of the vagus nerve, which I know, you know about Erica. I actually have right here. If I'll show yeah. it to the video. Um, and there's some exercises in the back of that book. Yeah. That uh, are really great to incorporate as well. Um, so yeah, there's several ways of doing it. I think it's just a matter of picking something and sticking with it and being consistent. How about our practices while we sit down and eat? I'm sure there's ways yeah. that can support better digestion that people might not think about and can make a really big difference. Yeah. So um, you mentioned, you know, kind of deep breathing before meals. I think like, obviously when probably go gargle before you're about to go eat. So I really like the deep breathing one because that's, you know, many of us are, you know, maybe having chaotic days, just got out of a busy meeting, got yelled at by your boss, whatever it is. And you can't necessarily control the situation, right? You might still be like, oh, I'm stressed out from that. What do I do? Like, it's time to go to lunch. (laughs) Do I not eat because of my digestive system not going to work? Well, no, like this is a great way to kind of like push yourself into, hey, like I'm ready. I'm telling my body I'm safe um, by doing some deep breathing. So you can actually control um, your, what, what nervous system you're in with your breath. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can move yourself and say, Hey, like I'm safe by doing these steady controlled breaths, which send that signal. Hey, it's okay. I'm not running away from a tiger. I can start stimulating, you know, the digestive juices and eat. So that's a key. I think um, at deep breathing, even prayer, like prayer, like saying grace, like gratitude before meals, like that also will shift you into um, the parasympathetic, uh, as well as even just practices, mealtime practices. So if you're going to be working while you're eating, well, that's you're continuing to, you know, bring stress mm-hmm. through your eyes or through your thoughts. You're not thinking about our food. So even just being mindful of what we're eating, looking at it engaging all of our senses, um, that's going to help with digestion because if you're like, okay, I'm going to deep breathe, but then I'm going to work while I eat. That's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so not being distracted, obviously focusing on what you're doing. So mindful eating yeah. and then chewing your food yeah. because, yeah. you know, taking the time that you're not in the rush. Yeah. Yeah. And chewing will affect, how does chewing affect everything else down the line? Well, our digestive, uh, our digestion starts in the mouth. So we've actually got enzymes in our saliva that start the breakdown of carbohydrates in the mouth. And so not only is there a chemical process of digestion happening while we're chewing, we're also mechanically breaking down the food, right? Like with our teeth, we're breaking that down so that when we put it into the blender of our stomach, you know, it's going to blend and digest uh, a lot better than it would if it was partially digest- digested. Um, so, so partially yeah, chewed. Think, yeah, partially chewed. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a huge component. A lot of people that don't chew their food well, they're also you know, swallowing a lot of air and that can lead to some bloat, um, as well. So Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely mealtime hygiene, chewing your food really well, not being distracted, 
taking your time, enjoy your food. Like we're meant to enjoy it. Right. And just kind of getting back to that simple practice of enjoying well, you know, enjoying our meals. Yeah. That mindfulness and the permission to enjoy is probably a really big shift for a lot of people because I think we're commonly a little bit at war with our bodies, with the food we put in. And just that shift can have a really big impact on our relationship to our body and its responses to food. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, let's say we're implanting these things in meals and in our routine daily, what would a positive change in our vagal function look like back in our digestion? Like if we're observing the patterns, like we talked about in the beginning, what can we now pick up on? Like, what are the things we should look for to see that mm -hmm. it's, it's doing something, it's working, I'm doing the right things, the right amount. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you can definitely see improvement in digestive symptoms. Now I will say, you know, if you've got SIBO, which is the bacterial overgrowth, you know, maybe doing some of this bagel work alone won't completely get rid of your symptoms. You need to get rid of the bacteria that's overgrowing, but at the same time, you're strengthening that vagus um, nerve. You're strengthening your parasympathetic nervous system so that once you clear that bacteria, you're not going to relapse after that. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely important. But some things that you can actually do um, or just kind of sense probably in yourself if you're no longer in this um, chronically sympathetic, you know, stressed out state, you notice that you're, you feel more grounded. Uh, you feel more grounded. You feel like you're able to self-regulate. Like things aren't going to just set you off. You know, emotionally. People, mm -hmm. Yeah, emotionally. Like if you're just like always getting triggered by stressors around you, that's a good sign that you're in the sympathetic state. But if you're like, hey, I'm cool as a cucumber. I'm chill. I'm resilient to stress. You know, it, it takes a lot to get you stressed out. That's a good sign that like, you're operating more in that parasympathetic state and, and even noticing like, Hey, when I get stressed out, you know, how, how long does it take for me to come back down? How long does it take for me to feel grounded again? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so that's another one. Uh, a cool test that you could do just, uh, objectively is a motility test. So, um, because our vagus nerve is responsible for gut motility, You can do this simple test where you uh, take one to two tablespoons of a uh, whole sesame seed mm -hmm. and you drink that with some water, like don't chew the seeds, but you drink that with some water on an empty stomach in the morning and you track how long it takes for you to see those seeds to come out in your stool. So it'll look like polka dot poo. It's called the polka dot poo test. <laughs> and ideally you want to see that come out within 12 to 24 hours. Um, anything before that, anything after that is a sign that, Hey, maybe there's some, um, issues with motility that could be, uh, stemmed back to the vagus nerve. So you could do that test when you start observing your symptoms and tracking. And then after a few weeks of working with vagal stimulation and general mm -hmm. mindfulness and meditation and yoga, then you can do that test again and see that if you're in that 12 to 24 hour window or if things have changed, that would be a nice, easy way to yeah. notice. It's a good barometer where yeah. you can like track progress because I know, you know, some of these things it might not be overnight. And so you can say, oh, hey, like last time it took X amount of hours. It took me 48 hours. And now, you know, I'm down to 40 hours. 
So that's good to positive reinforcement, right? To continue doing some of this work because you're like, okay, maybe I'm not seeing some changes, but I know that there's something happening on the inside. Yeah, because when we work with the nervous system, it's subtle. It could be very obvious and it could be very subtle. And things like the direct link into your motility in the gut, that's pretty precise. So it's yeah. good to have tools to actually know that we're on the right track without it having to be black or white, right? It's like perfect or it's horrible. Like, yeah, you're yeah. improving even though you're somewhere in the middle. 100%. Yeah. Amazing. That's why I like that. Another good thing is now there's things like, um, I don't know if you've heard of the whoop. Um, I don't have mine on right now, but no, I it's, kind of a, <laughs> it's, it's a armband or kind of bracelet that uh, tracks your um, HRV. And um, and also there's a, an aura ring. That's another aura ring. We're talking uh, about heart rate variability, by yeah, the way. Heart, yeah. yeah, heart Just rate in case. variability. Yeah. And so you want to see that heart rate variabil- variability high. Um, and that's going to show that you're um, operating out of the parasympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system more. A low HRV is going to sign that, hey, there's some... Um, you get stuck a little. Yeah, you're stuck. You're, there may be some vagal dysfunction, vagal yeah. nervous dysfunction. So. Amazing. Those, Those are, are really good, really good tips. Yeah. Anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's like one takeaway you'd like listeners to leave this conversation with, what would that be? Yeah, I would just say, you know, um, you're the expert of your own body. Like, you know, when something is going wrong, right? I think a lot of times, unfortunately, people will go to a doctor and they're dismissed or they're told that they're told that their symptoms are in their head or that they it's just normal. Or that it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's just really disempowering because, you know, you're the expert on your own body. You know, when something's not right, you know, when, you know, something feels off. And I would just say, like, keep digging for answers. Um, keep searching. And trust yourself. Yeah, trust yourself. Don't settle for a, it's in your head diagnosis because it's not. <laughs> so, yeah, stay curious about your body. You know, like I said, use a food and mood journal to track, you know, your symptoms and, um, and then, yeah, maybe work with somebody to dig a little bit deeper if that makes sense to Mm-hmm. So I'll put all your info in the show notes, obviously, but in the meantime, for people that are just listening, where's the best place for people to find you if they'd like to work with you or ask more questions or just say hello? Yeah. So the best place is through my Instagram and at ibs.nutritionist. Um, so yeah, feel free to shoot me a DM. I'm actually, there is a free training um, on my Instagram right now for people that are like, oh my gosh, I have di- I have been diagnosed with IBS. Maybe I have SIBO. I actually have a free training on there that walks you through how you can order your own test, how you can interpret your own test hmm. and next steps, which is I'm actually um, launching a whole new program this summer. Um, for people to get to the root cause of their SIBO and address that. So yeah, super excited about that coming out. But uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I'd love to chat with y'all. Perfect. And be on the lookout for that new program coming out. Yeah, I'm excited. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was so helpful and super informative. I'm sure people are going to really enjoy and get something out of it, whether they have big or small digestive concerns. (laughs) concerns. <laughs> Thanks, Erica, for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. 
If you haven't already done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast anywhere you listen. Come and connect with us on Instagram at On and Off Your Mat Podcast and visit withribbon.com slash you slash Erica Belanger to become a premium member. Get your hands on all our exclusive content, including our class library. Check out the show notes on my website, ericabelanger.com, to find out more info about our guest of today, Rachel Everett, my top five biggest takeaways from this episode, and any information you need for the retreat or the GoFundMe campaign. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. Once again, thank you for listening in. Until next time.